welcome to another episode of the Harry Potter Book Club. I'm Trevor. I'm Vera. I'm Sylvia. I'm Crystal. And I'm Alex. And Matt is not with us. He's on call at the hospital. Just so you all know, on our Instagram, you can follow us at HPBC Podcast. We have the same handle on Twitter. And on that Instagram, uh, you will probably see uh, in uh, the, t- the time period surrounding the release of this episode... Uh, pictures of the dinner we just had. We just had Creatures French Onion Soup mm-hmm. from a Harry Potter from the cookbook. The unofficial Harry Potter cookbook. Unofficial, mind you. <laughs> uh, delicious. And if mouths are full in this episode, no, it's only Twinkie cupcakes <laughs> uh, or chocolate salted caramel cupcakes. We really go all out with our meals when we <laughs> gather for podcasts. And in case anyone was curious, a Twinkie filling... Is not banana. <laughs> and is no one was. Except for Alex. No one is... Anyway, we, we just for, let the record stand. Yes, we're ten minutes behind on getting started on the podcast mm. because that debate had to ensue. <laughs> uh, also, uh, keep in mind, you can reach out with your questions and comments at hpbcfanmail at gmail.com I get some of our email addresses and Twitter handles and whatnot mixed up sometimes. It took me a minute to remember but that's hpbcfanmail at gmail.com. We love hearing from you and we'd love to feature your question or comment on an upcoming episode. And I just wanted to give a quick shout out to um, our friends at Literary Inc. Um, Jennifer Edge specifically we were able to attend that last year at least Matt and I were and this year, because of four kids and three dogs between us, and I'm seven and a half months pregnant and can't travel, um, we were not able to attend, and we're really bummed about it. But we're just wishing them good luck. And if you're in the Chattanooga area and love Harry Potter, love tattoos, any of those things, you should definitely check it out. Um, you can get more information um, by following at Literary Inc. on Instagram as well. Awesome. Well, to kick us off today, um, we are starting Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. Woohoo! We made it. Um, <laughs> so here we are, and we've all been remarking over dinner that there just wasn't a lot going on in Chapter One. Um, there's not a lot on our minds right now. No big, major, pressing questions. But um, one thing that did come to our mind is we had um, a listener, Sam, write in um, and just say that he's noticed that at the start of a lot of the earlier books, Rowling spends a long time. Um, maybe not a long time, but she spends time reintroducing characters, reminding us of, of things that have transpired um, since the end of the last book. And he says it gets a little bit annoying and could Rowling just get on with the story and not spend that time um, doing so much exposition. So wanted to kind of kick us off with that question. Um, what do we all think about that? I wholeheartedly agree with Sam. <laughs> I think it's annoying, but it's I do have to keep in mind that a lot of people are reading these books with gaps in them like when we were growing up there was you know a year or two gap before another book was released so then I probably found it helpful but in the age of binge watching things and reading Mm -hmm. these things over and over and over I'm just like okay get to the meat so I I agree with Sam but well my thought was that you know a lot of authors do this because there is time between the release of the books and they they don't want you to have to feel like you had to read the whole first book again they'll just tell you a little bit about what just happened just to, or, or, you know, just remind you of a couple of characters, a little bit of exposition just to remind you so that you can track again with the story that they wrote. And JK didn't know (laughs) 
when she wrote the first few that this was going to be the sensation that it was. She was just another author trying to make sure that her readers could track with her. And so I, she does stop after a while. I think she gets that everybody has accepted everything she's written as gospel and is like, yes, I know exactly what happened. I read it again yesterday to be prepared <laughs> for the release tonight at midnight. And so, um, so she does eventually stop doing that. Yeah, by the time we get to book four, it's really not an issue anymore. You only get exposition when she's reintroducing uh, an event or a character that someone could conceivably have lost the details of uh, in their memory. Mm. Or Quidditch rules. But I, I go through those a lot. I think yeah. about it from the perspective of an author. Who is she writing for? She's writing for her immediate audience. And her immediate audience was uh, younger readers, at least initially, uh, who were living in the two-year gap that comes between uh, yeah. book publication. No author is writing saying, well, if I remind my current readers, well, a hundred years from now, when I'm in the canon of Western literature, <laughs> maybe my readers are going to find this annoying. Nobody, I, I think, writes at least stories like this with that thought in mind. That would seem too presumptuous on the part of an author. So I think it, it is understandable that that she does it in these. I just had a thought about this. So we are big fans of Robert Galbraith, um, J.K. Rowling's pseudonym. And I recently, having read Lethal White, which came out, um, which was phenomenal, highly recommend it, um, I picked it up. It had been maybe two years since Career of Evil came out, and so I hadn't read it in two mm -hmm. years. I was so lost. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, so she has clearly uh, made a, a change in her style, um, knowing adult audience and knowing, you know, she is who she is. But I actually had to get Career of Evil from the library, reread the last, like, three mm -hmm. chapters, skim the book in order to, un to remind, like, to remind myself of the plot, what all had happened and what had transpired. So... I just think that's interesting that she she swung so far in the other direction that I actually was like, I, I could have used some exposition in Lethal White. Well, again, though, Lethal White is number four, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, if even if she's keeping her pattern, by the time she gets to the fourth book, she's like, you're on your own, folks. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Because there is a little bit more exposition in the second and third books of the Cormoran Strike series as well. But, yeah, by book four, you're... I mean, you're, you're literally picking up in the middle of the action mm -hmm. that book three left off on. And yeah. if you don't remember exactly what's going on, you have no idea what is the motivation of these characters and stuff. So that's a situation where a little bit of exposition is helpful. I, I was struck um, to start off uh, the first paragraph of chapter one, The Worst Birthday, um, that Mr. Vernon Dudley. Dursley had been woken in the early hours of the morning by a loud hooting noise from his nephew Harry's room. Third time this week, he roared. And I'm thinking, Vernon, that's nothing. <laughs> like, try having a newborn. <laughs> that's that's the frame of mind that I think I'm, I'm reading this in. Like, oh, only third time in a week? Man, you're getting a lot of good sleep. <laughs> No, I, one thing that I was curious about is what do you all think Vernon is so scared of happening if Harry were to let Hedwig out of her cage? I have an, an immediate sense, but I'm curious if, if you all 
thought further about that. Well, I feel like he just, he is af afraid that Harry's going to send letters to his friends. I mean, that's sort of the only, I don't know if that's where you're going, but that's all I can think of because at the bottom he says, I know what will happen if that owl's let out and you know, you're going to use it to receive and send news and he doesn't want Harry to have any contact with this world that he hates. Yeah, I guess my question is, what, what is he afraid is going to happen if Harry gets contact? I mean, I, I think maybe he's afraid of what what eventually happens. I can't remember which book it is. Is it? It's not the fourth one. Is it in the next book where um, they come through <laughs> through the flu network to the Dursleys? That's book four. That's book four. Yeah. And so maybe he's just afraid of. Um, them actually, you know, being contacted and then showing up mm. and and having weird magic people around. Um, or maybe just afraid of somebody seeing, like, an owl with a letter coming to mm -hmm. the house and noticing that strange things are happening in the Dursley house. Yeah. All of those seem reasonable. And probably Vernon... I'm talking about a fictional character here, about what might be in a fictional character's fictional mind. That's like all we're doing. <laughs> it's, seriously, that's, that's our lives, though, so I'm not going to apologize for that. Uh, it, it seems like Vernon probably has all of those things in his head, just fear, um, mashed together. But I wonder if another part of it is he's afraid that Harry will tell somebody in a sort of position of magical authority how they treat him, because that was a fear... About Sirius, right? Mm -hmm. That Harry said, you know, my you know, godfather sure would be interested to hear about all of the things that you're doing and saying right now. And that really scares Vernon. So I wonder if, if that's part of it as well. That um, maybe all of these things sort of come together. The fear of being seen, uh, of Harry having contacts that potentially come around, of weird things happening, but also of people hearing about how the Dursleys treat him. And it's the, we're keeping the owl in the cage. That's just the safest thing all around. Isn't the safest thing all around to just treat him with dignity? You would, you would <laughs> think. That's out of the question. I mean, not, not only would it be the safest thing, but like, it, it kind of, well, yes, and also the right thing, but also likely, you know, an, an immensely profitable thing. I mean, if you're the Dursleys, you know, they're, they have to be so blinded by their hatred of this whole world mm. that Harry is a part of, and also of Harry personally, that even even their their shrewdness, even their their greed, That's funny. like mm -hmm. even their gluttony, like cannot overcome this hatred. Like they can't conceive of how magic could benefit magic them. could benefit themselves. That's yes. a great point. He's yeah. he's in this chapter. The whole impetus is that. Vernon's worried about the biggest deal of his career. Right. You have a wizard in training living in your house. <laughs> right. Like, the, the kid can make your wildest dreams come true, but it, it, yeah, it's Harry is house so much of a threat. Sure. Okay. Um, that they're not even they're not even thinking in that regard. Right. That's very interesting. Yeah, I've never thought of that. Yeah, that's a great point, especially just because of who Harry is. And the access he has to like fame and all of these things, they could get anything they wanted. That's very interesting. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I was just, as I was reading through this again, I was just thinking about the way the dynamic between Harry and the Dursleys has changed since Harry, you know, has, has been named a wizard and has gone to Hogwarts. Um, and we don't, we don't get all of it in this, in just this first chapter. There's more, more coming, but just the way that they treat him differently, it's, it's not... It's not that they treat him with any less contempt than they did before, but there's this new sort of level of fear. Um, you know, not not scared enough not to yell at him or to treat him well, but still the sort of underlying dread that he could do something to them. He's got some sense of power now, even though he still feels largely powerless. Mm-hmm. The tables have turned mm -hmm. in, a, in a very important way. Yeah. And that's when when certain of the books end and they sort of hint toward that, that Harry's going back to the Dursleys and he's not allowed to use magic, but they don't know that. Like, there is, even as readers, there's a certain thrill that we get about the powerless no longer being totally powerless mm -hmm. in the mm. situation. Um, yeah, so it, it is interesting to see how the dynamics have changed. They're still, I mean, if we're if we're looking at it through a realistic lens, they're they are abusive. Yeah, mm -hmm. they they are criminally abusive, um, and yet they stop short because they're aware that Harry's got a certain capacity um, to overpower them. In, in a way that would be very damaging to what they hold dear. That's true, but at the same time, and I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I, I believe later in this same chapter, Harry is swung at with a cast iron skillet. <laughs> mm hmm. Now. Well, a frying pan. Okay. We don't know it's cast iron. I guess that's it true. Maybe I'm maybe that, that's my imagination <laughs> sort of running wild with this using a full-on <laughs> cast iron skillet. Uh, maybe that also just presumes a lot more forearm strength than Petunia likely had. Um, but to hit a child with a solid metal you know, cooking instrument like that, I mean, that's that's more than just like negligence mm -hmm. or I mean that's that could have killed him yeah which takes us back to the question mm -hmm. in a previous mm. Q&A episode was Harry invincible until no I'm not I'm not opening that can of worms <laughs> uh, in our previous episode we spent a lot of time debating that and really getting nowhere in yeah, our answer but um, yeah I wonder to what extent this is still the sort of British, um, childish hyperbole about the young protagonist's um, obstacles that he has to overcome. Um, but rereading re it carefully as adults, it is striking. And I know in, in Sorcerer's Stone, we spent many of our early episodes um, discussing in depth the, the abusiveness mm -hmm. and the effects that that would have mm -hmm. on a young mind, heart, and body to be in 
constant circumstances where they were literally in physical danger, mm-hmm. uh, phenomenally destabilizing in an insecure environment like this. And even then, our verdict was Harry does, for all the the ways that his past has influenced his present character, he doesn't bear the scars um, of his upbringing in the way that realistically he very well could. I was I was just struck again, I th- and I feel like we talked about this when we when we dealt with the first book um, of the sort of almost cartoony way that the Dursleys are are portrayed. Rolling and how, you know, even these like very sort of traumatic scenes where he's just being screamed at or like physically abused or you know told to to go to his room and pretend that he's doesn't exist. You know, they they're sold to us with this sense of humor that downplays mm-hmm. the situation mm-hmm. in such a way that it's like palatable. So we're like, oh, the Dursleys, and and they're they're comical in their hatred, yeah. and so they seem ridiculous to us. So that the the abuse that they're heaping on him doesn't doesn't have the weight that it would right. if they Tragedy. were really serious right. characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. the for for Christmas, I think in this book they send Harry a toothpick, mm-hmm. and the other night we were listening to that on audiobook, and Trevor just started chuckling, and it's like it's it's funny. Um, so it's absurd, but it's funny. Yeah. And even just thinking about his relationship with the Dursleys in this book versus his relationship with the Dursleys later, like in this seventh book, I guess, when they're waiting to, the chapter, I think, Dursley, the Dursleys departing, mm-hmm. when they're waiting for the Dursleys to leave, even his relationship darkens, I guess, in the same way the books do. Like, this book is way more whimsical yeah. and geared towards, you know, 11-year-olds, whereas those later books, they're so much darker. And mm-hmm. there's a moment where Harry and Vernon, like, kind of connect eyes when he's saying, like, Voldemort will use you thinking that I'll come to save you. And he asks, like, the question, like, neither of them really know what the answer to that would be. Like, would Harry mm-hmm. actually come to save him? And that's that's... Like, that just shows you, like, yeah. the neglect that he's experienced. And, and that question being asked later is so it's such a dark question to have to think about. Mm. So, and, and you're right here, it's almost comical. But later, it's yeah. like, okay, Harry now understands, like, this was awful. Like, his mm. childhood was awful in this house. Mm. What's interesting is that the Galbraith novels, the Cormoran Strike novels, are very much about trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm. They are very much about the long-term, intrusive, physiological and psychological effects of traumatic experience. So Rowling is aware of that, and as an author, she has explored it, but she doesn't do it here. Mm. Here she's got a different story to tell, mm-hmm. and what she has is a particularly resilient protagonist, Mm -hmm. one who seems almost immune to what's uh, coming at him. I mean, literally, frying pans are coming at him. (laughs) You know, not just words in all caps, um, but frying pans. Um, And this seems a pretty regular occurrence. And yet he he comes across as a kid who is self-possessed. Like, he's, he's almost above it all. Even though this is the only world he's ever known... Uh, save Hogwarts, um, he 
he lives with the Dursleys in such a way that it seems like he almost perceives the whimsical absurdity of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, which helps us as readers see that and perceive it that way. Um, but it is a pretty unrealistic scenario. Right. I mean, children do not respond this way right. <laughs> to these sorts of environments. No. Right. So we've taken a really whimsical chapter one, <laughs> a full of exposition, you know, background detail, and um, and really comedic interjection, and we've turned it into a very heavy thing. Congratulations, <laughs> guys. <laughs> what, so the well, the, speaking of very heavy things that are supposed to be comedic, I mean, look at the, the frying pan themselves. Oh, I mean, like the description in the yeah. beginning with mm-hmm. the idea that the Dudley's actually like oh his bottom is coming over the over seat the side both sides both of the sides seat. Of the and the he's chair. supposed to, he's only like is he one year or two years older than Harry right he's, he's maybe like 12 13, 13. Yeah. yeah I mean this is a morbidly obese child <laughs> horribly abused <laughs> by the way that his family has right. set him up I mean this mm. this is a kid doubt I mean they probably don't mention the diabetes for various reasons, but like, you, there's just no way this kid was not dealing with all sorts of things like that. I mean, that's well. And the first thing he says is, "There's this dark look about the the owl. Like mm. we know what will happen if the owl gets that." And Vernon exchanges dark looks, and Harry tries to argue back, but his words are drowned by a long, loud belch from Dudley. <laughs> And Dudley, his first words in the books are, I want more bacon. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, this is, it's really funny. It, Mm -hmm. like, it is so absurd and caricatured. uh, But that's Dudley's role throughout this entire chapter. Mm -hmm. Until he finally says, um, you know, what what dinner conversation are they going to have? And Dudley says, we had to write an essay about our hero at school, Mr. Mason, and I wrote about you. <laughs> and to just see this kid who's like, literally, one track mind, I want more bacon, but at the snap of a finger on command, I can do the question or the, the statement yeah. to suck up to a boss that that we rehearsed. I don't know. For I was laughing out loud. Um, as my children were crawling all over me, mm. <laughs> um, and as I was trying to read chapter one, but yeah. the comedic timing is is pretty great. I wonder how many drafts of chapter one it took her <laughs> in this one to get the the feel right, uh, because we've talked before about how many there were for chapter one of Sorcerer's Stone. I, I couldn't help but think when he asks first for more bacon. To think really, Dudley, what what you want is more pig. <laughs> oh, yeah. after no. after the last thing that no. we see from about right. Dudley yeah. in the first book, he got, he got over that pretty quick. Yeah, apparently. I mean, he, he no longer feels any kind of familial affection, <laughs> any kind of connection with the poor kind. Now. Kinds. I will say, I, I hear the comedic side of things. I have never read this chapter's comedic. This chapter has always stressed me out to no end. 
Hmm. It's it just it infuriates me. All I think is how could it have been done differently? Dobby, could you have picked a different method? Anyway, well um, that's not yet. Okay, sorry, jumping in. Uh, but anyway, I, I get stressed out by some of the um, trauma of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the next chapter is very stressful. <laughs> yeah, the next chapter, yeah, may like growing up may have been one of my least favorite in the entire yeah, canon. Yeah, makes me feel yeah. better. Yeah, so I, I think we we're tracking. Uh, with with the stress, although you may be feeling it more acutely in this one, but with the traumatic circumstances and the comedic interjection, particularly from Dudley, there there's profound disappointment um, when Uncle Vernon mentions, we all know today is a very important day. Mm-hmm. And even though Harry hates them, even though he's been abused by them, forgotten by them, um, there's this line, Harry looked up hardly daring to believe it. And I'm not going to talk about it too long because that that is just heartbreaking mm-hmm. um, for a child in a home to be looking up daring to believe that the people who are charged with caring for him actually care for him somebody else do something with that yeah yeah i I, before uh right before that section harry says of course his hopes hadn't been high they'd never given him a real present let alone a cake but to ignore it completely so like it, it makes me wonder like what's the typical What's the typical birthday for Harry look like at the Dursleys? Because the year before, we don't really see it because we're in hiding. And so Harry's just kind of on his own. Um, Right. There's a reason why we would assume that to be a non-typical birthday. Right. Yeah. Right. But this this is more of a typical one. They just scheduled this dinner party. And so, you know, what what does it usually look like? They They don't get him presents. They don't get him a cake. But what do they do? They just say, well, you're 12 today. Here's a toothpick. Toothpick, they do go the, do some chores. The like, Dwight Schrute, like. it is your it birthday, is your birthday <laughs> statement. Period. Yeah. <laughs> it's a statement that's, of fact. That's a good question. I have a hard, I've always had a hard time with the Dursleys and their Christmas presents. Or what. I'm just thinking, like, why not just ignore yeah, them? Just, like, I would rather you not send it. me something instead of a tissue or a Kleenex right. or a coat hanger. Any of those things. So, I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting, though, because it seems like it would... It would take more animosity to send yes, the item does. than it would to forget about him entirely. Right. We remembered and we planned and we posted you yeah. this mean it gift. Cost, <laughs> it cost us more to send you the toothpick yeah. than to to give the, to buy the toothpick. Well, and I believe maybe this was on air, maybe this was not, but I think Crystal had a theory about this a while back. I did. Okay. Are you going to say the Hedwig the, You thing? can go ahead and... Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, just that Hedwig wanted Harry to have something, so he went and, like, bothered the Dursleys, pecked at them until they sent him something. Right, until they handed the, the bird whatever it might have been, yeah. and then the bird grabbed it and went yeah. away. I do like that. I think that's He funny. does get a piece of money, though, one year. Yeah, it's like a 50-cent piece right. or something, and he gives it to Ron. Who's... Enamored by right. this thing, like, oh what my gosh, shape. this is crazy. Which is interesting because, like, what shape are galleons and things? Aren't they? I mean, I imagine they're yeah. circular. I think I mean, galleons are. 
maybe they're also like interesting his dad's the head of muggle studies and you'd think he'd know but that's never <laughs> it seems like they'd have a we lot of muggle money the yeah, yeah, back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway so so it's not an important day because of Harry it's an important day because they're having a dinner party with the Masons who are a rich builder and his wife um, parenthetically Uncle Vernon's company makes drills there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of these little parenthetical like um, explanations just in case you forgot yeah about stuff um, so the Masons are coming and we're all trying to make sure we know our places I just love that Dudley keeps on looking up with his lines <laughs> may I take your coats Mr. and Mrs. Ma- he's in the middle of his like engorging breakfast <laughs> and whenever it gets to Dudley what's your line May I take your coats, Mr. and Ms. and Aunt Petunia? They'll love him, she cries <laughs> rapturously. There's just this this picture of the dinner table that where everyone is so out of touch with what's actually going on in their home. I think that that's one of the things that brings the comedy and the pain mm. all together. Mm-hmm. Is that Aunt Petunia is literally erupting in praise mm-hmm. over her uh, child reciting his lines and we as readers and Harry in here has to hide his face because he's laughing so hard um, we're we're just flabbergasted by how blind they are mm-hmm. um, it's and in that sense it becomes a painful thing to reflect on We um, see Harry using the M word, the magic word, and I thought that was interesting because, like, that's just a product of his Muggle upbringing. Probably hearing Petunia instruct Dudley to say the magic word, which mm-hmm. is something he never mm-hmm. says. He's like, "I want more bacon, not may I please have more bacon or anything like that." Um, so when Harry says it, which is a very common phrase, we say that to kids a lot. Like, "What's the word?" or "What's the magic word to get this thing?" Um, he gets in so much trouble. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where things really become comical. Like, I mean, it's easy to read over it, but, like, Dudley fell, fell off his chair with a crash that shook the whole kitchen. <laughs> and later, Aunt Petunia, who is trying to heave Dudley to his feet. I, I just think those things are all so funny. Yeah. Those images. And he's, Vernon exclaims, like, how dare you threaten Dudley <laughs> by asking him to say the magic word. So interesting. But even there, all of us have been misunderstood and accused of something that we we weren't doing. Mm-hmm. And so we understand how <laughs> difficult a situation this is, even as it's funny. Um, and the physical comedy of it all is a big part of it. But the, the how dare you threaten Dudley, there's... It's so... It's really... It's once again, it's so ludicrous... And so apart from what was actually happening, that if we stop laughing and start thinking about what would it mean to grow up in a place where accusation could be hurled at you in this way, um, man, it is, it's a narrative wonder that Harry ends up being as, as functional and typical, um, 
a protagonist as he actually is. I'm going to go into a personal anecdote here. It's surprising because I can think of one time, really just off the top of my head, when this happened to me when I was in maybe first or second grade elementary school library and the librarian asked me to push some chairs in and I said okay and I pushed them in and apparently something about my tone she did not like. So she went and pulled me out of class the next period and just like chewed me out in the hall and it so struck me off guard because I thought I had just been polite and normal and I had no idea what was going on and I just nodded my head and was really horrified and to this day like I carry some shame that oh my gosh like what did I do to make this librarian just lose it at me Mm. but anyway I I think just I, I had one single time of that and here I am you know 20 years later, 25 <laughs> years later, and it's still like, oh, it hurts, you know? Yeah. So, this is Harry's every day. It's close to home. Yeah. 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 False accusation, in some sense, hurts more than real accusation mm-hmm. because at least then we say, oh, that was justified and I can do something to rectify it. But when there's a false accusation, it's, what do you do? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can try to clarify the situation, but. You know, in a situation like uh, Harry's with Vernon, and maybe this is like it is with a lot of false accusation. The more you try to explain what what the actual situation was, the more vehement the accusation becomes. Yeah. I think the Dursleys are good training for Snape later. It's a mm. lot of that. Mm. That's a good thought. Now I'm wondering if your first grade librarian is listening to the Harry Potter oh. book club podcast. <laughs> I hope so, and I hope she apologizes. And if I did anything wrong, I'm sorry too. <laughs> I don't know what I did, but apparently my tone was off. It just struck me because I was like a perfect, you know, little grade A student, and so it yeah. really shook me up. Hey, the Harry Potter book club not af- not afraid to deal with people's childhood issues. Right, <laughs> that's what we're here for. Um. So one thing, I, I'm trying to make something out of this, and maybe there's nothing there, but uh, we learned that the Dursleys have locked up all of Harry's magical equipment, his, his, his robes, his cauldron, his broomstick, in the cupboard under the stairs. And it ju- it, I want it to be significant <laughs> that mm. everything is locked up where, mm. where he used to be locked up. Mm. And it's like they're they're locking up that magic side of him in the cupboard, even though now that people know mm-hmm. he was in there, they mm-hmm. can't keep him in there anymore. They had to give him the bedroom, but we're still going to lock up the magic side of you in that cupboard under the stairs. I actually like that. Do you? Yeah, I like that a lot. It is very symbolic. I, I skipped over, I guess, that it was in the cupboard under under the stairs, but I think that, that, I think that is probably meant to be symbolic. That everything having to do with magic, where they were trying to keep him shut out before they are putting that side of him and locking it away. And it is locked away in Mm -hmm. some ways while he's outside of Hogwarts because he can't use magic. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I think there's something there. Mm -hmm. If there's not, I also want there to be something there. Yeah, there is now. Well, well, (laughs) Rowling made the, the... Authorial decision to make that the place of yeah. storage, mm-hmm. and to not only make it in her mind, but to tell us that that was the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to something that you brought up earlier, um, it says here that the fear, the the terror that he might turn them all into dung beetles, was the only thing stopping them from locking him mm-hmm. in that same cupboard mm. 
with the magical items. Mm. So the fact that he has been confirmed as a wizard gets him out of the prison of the cupboard, but they're still going to put the magic there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good catch of a detail that is poignant yeah. if we stop to think about it. Yeah, just Of course, we get Dobby's eyes mm. in the hedge, mm. which, if you look at the illustration, <laughs> are enormous. Harry, Harry, on this very tiny bench with eyes staring out from the yeah. hedge. It's a, it's a really funny drawing, and then you get the the description. I think we should probably wait to share thoughts on Dobby yeah, until, until we unpack the next chapter, which we've already sort of spilled the beans about. Yeah, we how can it ignore Sylvia's um, slightly confused <laughs> well, contribution it is. It's earlier. It's a very stressful chapter. <laughs> it, it is. But Dudley comes, and he's the only one who's remembered. Mm. I know what day it is. Mm-hmm. And yet again, the knife is twisting in Harry. Um, that someone has remembered, but they only remember it to torture him about it. Mm-hmm. But Harry's not above protecting himself mm-hmm. with jiggery pokery, yeah. <laughs> hocus pocus, squiggly wiggly, <laughs> which is only slightly worse than the spell Ron tries to cast. In the Hogwarts Sunshine Express. Daisy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, at least Harry's obvi- is doing this just to scare Dudley away. Doesn't, I mean, he, but I, the thing that I was struck by, honestly, with this was just how ludicrous it was of Dudley to believe that this is a magic spell. <laughs> Squig- Squiggly wiggly? <laughs> I mean, come on. Jiggery pokery. Jiggery pokery? <laughs> Maybe Hocus. Pocus, like, yeah. that might be something that somehow in his, the cultural milieu I mean, he still managed to associate somehow with magic stuff. Ridiculous. Jiggery pokery. Uh, true. Dudley doesn't know that. I know. But, but jiggery there are, pokery? There are goofy words that are spells, that are real spells. In yes, the but that is a spell about making something ridiculous. Well? What? Oh, so a spell to make something... Dudley's ridiculous. <laughs> my, what does he know about ridiculous spells? My only defense of Dudley here is that the first time I ever read Ron trying to cast the spell on the Hogwarts Express, I was sitting there saying, I wonder what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, because I didn't True. know what the... I didn't know that every spell was like some... Latin. Crazy, sophisticated yeah. Latin derivation. Like, mm-hmm. who would have thought? But... Um, so I, I can true. sort of understand yeah, why that is. He has no, he has no contact. Why for is it, it so. Latin? Everything's Latin. Yeah, Listeners, like please tell us. Words, perhaps in their purest form, have some kind of power. Perhaps. Nah. No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> nah. <laughs> it just sounds cool. Um. So on the page right before we, right before Dudley shows up. Um, Harry's musing about why he hasn't gotten any messages from his friends all summer, which is an important detail that's going to come up later. But he says he'd almost be glad of a sight of his arch enemy, Draco Malfoy, mm. just to be sure it hadn't all been a dream. Mm. And that is so dramatic mm. to me. 
that like after a year of knowing this guy, Harry's like, that is my arch enemy, mm-hmm. not Voldemort. Right. <laughs> or Dudley. Draco Malfoy. Or, or, or Dudley. Dudley. Yeah, or Dudley, yeah. Draco Malfoy is my arch enemy. Dudley yeah. has tortured him his whole life. Draco, he's known for like less than a full year at this point. Yeah. Quirrellmort tried to strangle him in the basement of Hogwarts. Right. I mean, but Draco is my arch enemy. Yeah, Voldemort's he tried to, still out he there. He tried to get me out of he's bed like a minor after curfew. <laughs> I mean, really though, well, priorities, he- man. You gotta pick an arch. You gotta pick an arch that's like. Seriously. Up to your level. Yep. In Harry's defense, he is an 11 or 12 year old boy. Know, and your, your arch enemy is somebody who picks on you at school when you're 12. No, but he. An adult, but he has a real arch an, enemy. A, an adult with a wizard demon living in the back of his face <laughs> tried to strangle him in the basement of the but castle. He only just, knew about that for like a week. And you think of mentally, he carried through the whole school year of Draco and Snape. But being the problem, and Voldemort is gone, and he has no idea like where Voldemort, Voldemort is. The Voldemort thing is just not real to him at all. It's like the biggest thing in my life is this blonde kid who's kind of a jerk at school. I mean, the, the other thing, I think, I, like, I, I see what you're saying, Crystal, but I, the guy who makes fun of you at school is a big deal. Like, when you are not being actively abused yeah. at home, the you very, know? the very next paragraph. Harry had slipped through Voldemort's clutches for a second time, but it had been a narrow escape. But Draco is but my arch enemy. Draco is my arch enemy. He mm. teased me in potions. <laughs> I mean, Harry's got such bigger problems I than just, he realizes. It's so dramatic to me. I just love that so much. Oh. Now, do you think that is... In part, a coping strategy. Do you think and part maybe. of it is that he's his like his problems with Voldemort are so big, right. he doesn't really yeah, have a frame true. of reference for it, and so, so like this mean guy at school. That's yeah, this is what I can handle right now. Exactly, and you know when it comes to getting strangled by your teacher or beaten by your would-be parent figures, then <laughs> like he has no he has no way to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So he just doesn't. So Draco's his enemy. I was trying to justify his use of that word by looking it up on dictionary.com. It's pretty dramatic. <laughs> but the definitions are either A, a chief enemy, or B, the devil. <laughs> so it's clearly not a justification for that word. Okay. Yeah. Well, and the serpentine imagery that is associated with Voldemort throughout is, mm-hmm. is linked to mm. the second part of that definition, and clearly he is the essence of the first right. part of that definition. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. <laughs> that's that's really funny, Vera. Uh. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh. <laughs> um, so, so he gets in lots of trouble for picking on Dudley with the fake magic spells. Lots of trouble. Lots of chores. Yeah, and this is like one of, I mean, we, we talk about all the time all of Harry's sad punishments and sad things that we read about. But this, like, mowing the lawn with the sun beating down on his neck and he's, mm. like, starving. This is so pitiful. Mm. And then he's like, I wish they could see the famous Harry Potter now. Yeah. So mm. sad. Mm-hmm. As he spread manure on the flower beds. Mm. Mm. And it, yeah, and it... What's what's really sad to me, there's a couple of different instances here 
where he's like, just just to be sure it wasn't a dream, or mm -hmm. maybe he didn't have any friends at Hogwarts, mm -hmm. and he's just second-guessing everything that happened to him. Well, and we, we commented on that at in Sorcerer's Stone as well, how early on he, he couldn't believe yeah. that this was happening. Uh, he couldn't believe that he was special or lovable, acceptable, mm -hmm. um exceptional in in any sort of way but in reference to what someone said earlier these experiences are what makes harry who he is later on the fact that he hasn't always been treated like harry potter um gives him the character um to live humbly to not be full of himself he gets full of himself in in certain places mm -hmm. but Overall, he is a much more down-to-earth, uh, humble hero figure than he could have been. Mm -hmm. And part of it's because he's, he's spreading manure on the flower beds yeah. in the baking sun. Yeah. I just think of Harry being much more sad because you know his last birthday was his best birthday. And then he goes immediately into this birthday, remembering all of those things and wondering if it was just a dream. Mm. And, you know, last his last birthday, he we heard him in Sorcerer's Stone musing about, like, he'd always wished some unknown relative would come and whisk him away. And then here he is stuck with these people who hate him and are forcing him to do all of these things. So it just makes it that much more sad, I guess, mm -hmm. when you compare it to his previous birthday. Well, he ends up climbing the stairs and turning to collapse on his bed. The trouble was, there was already someone sitting on it. Who we dun, all know dun, dun. is Lord Voldemort. Oh, his arch His not enemy. Just kidding. His slight misconvenience. That's yeah. Who's only to, tried to kill him? That's twice. going to yeah. take us next time to chapter two where we meet one of the most frustrating and endearing characters in the entire story. Uh, until then, friends, we're so glad that you joined us. We hope that you'll send us your comments and questions at hpbcfanmail at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at hpbcpodcast. And until next time, Mischief Managed! Mischief managed.